Hello, welcome back to the Developer Diaries. This is an episode where developers talk about their stories, their struggles, and their life lessons. Uh, this is episode 13, and I'm really excited to be joined by our guest, V Tran, who is currently a senior product manager at Splunk. Uh, v, how are you doing today? I'm good. It's kind of hot outside, but I'm inside yeah. with the AC. Yeah. So. Where are you joining us from? We're joining you from Austin, Texas, or the Ooh. verbs of Austin, Texas, I should say. <laughs> that is awesome. We'll be talking about how it's okay to sort of like crash events that you're not invited to, take advantage of opportunities and resources that aren't directly handed over to you, and to sometimes just break the rules in order to reach your full potential. And we'll get into how you can go about doing things like that. Um, I think this is an important conversation for a lot of people, especially like introverts or people who feel like they're constantly like judging themselves and having doubts about themselves. Um, and yeah, before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah. So my name is V Trant, um, V like the letter. And it's, it's funny because it's a very common Vietnamese name and whatnot, but now that I've entered the tech industry and I always knew since like high school that I wanted to be in this space, um, even before software was a big thing, it was like more hardware. So I used to go around even in internships saying like, oh, my name, my first name is V, my middle name is Lan. So V Lan is like a very like in this industry term. So it's almost like my parents knew that like I was meant to be in this space. <laughs> and so I've spent the last like almost eight years of my professional career, if you don't include internships, just focusing on this space, but different functions. And I know we call this the developer diaries, but I've never actually been a developer besides the sad attempts at minoring in computer science. But <laughs> that's what you what grades you get in college don't necessarily mean the success of your career after college. Yeah, I think your story is especially relevant because there's sort of like this I don't know if stigma is the right word, but this thought in when you're studying tech or you're trying to enter tech that the main thing that you can do is become a software engineer or the only thing you can do is become a software engineer. Um, but there's so many roles adjacent to that that are, you know, that can be even more powerful than being a software engineer if that's where your skills lie and that's where your interests lie. Um, so I'm excited to talk about how you have conquered the tech industry without having to become a full-time developer. Um, so can you – so you – told me one time about how you got your first, I think it was your first internship or one of your internship interviews at college by crashing a career fair. <laughs> that yeah. feels like such a gutsy move. How did you do that? <laughs> yeah. So like I wasn't in the business school and I wasn't in the computer science program, but I knew like the career fair was happening. And so I knew that the some of the big tech companies that weren't necessarily going to be in the communication school career fair, they were going to be at the business school one. So I knew I couldn't crash the engineering one because I was like, oh, that's a little hard because I don't have that background besides that there was like two computer science classes. But I was like, I could crash a business school one. And there was like this awkward like two hour window where they said other people can come as long as you show up in a full suit. You have your resume and represent us properly because, you know, like typical business undergrad programs even. So I put on a suit that I hadn't worn since high school mock trial and prayed that it would fit. Thankfully, it did. My feet hurt from wearing high heels <laughs> and pantyhose, basically, which I haven't had to do in my entire professional career. And I walk around and I like hand out my resume and I give my pitch and I'm like, they see my resume and they're like, why is there color on here? <laughs> 
because I had like a mini logo. I was in the public relations and advertising program. And I was like, I'm going to stand out among the sea of black and white. And this was during the era of, oh, you don't necessarily have to upload your resume into this certain format where like now it like you have to have it in a certain format and you have to read it. I was like trying to be the special one, but like still have valid experiences. Like I had worked at National Instruments um, based out of Austin, Texas. I did work at PR agencies that were focused more on tech companies and stuff like that. So I just positioned myself slightly differently. And then the next day, like Amazon was like, you have an interview. <laughs> and I was like, great. <laughs> and so I spent the summer, um, I ended up getting an offer, thankfully. And I spent my first summer in the Bay Area. And I was able to, you know, get that experience of working at Amazon warehouses. And I appreciate my prime membership so much more and now that I know exactly what goes into it and this was during the the period of time when Amazon had just acquired Kiva systems and we were setting up how do we integrate the robots in there and make them talk to each other so that they can actually like move the products around all this is public information you can literally YouTube this <laughs> but at the time it was very confidential information and like it was cool to see a new system implemented and see how the different elements of like supply chain worked and work with different types of people from the warehouse workers who are more hourly employees to like the big um, operations managers that led global operations and had all this built in software that you had to learn. And so I learned that I didn't love being in a supply chain warehouse and that's okay. I think part of the internship programs that you do in college, especially is being able to learn not only what you like from people within the organization, but also what you ultimately don't want to do. And that's actually even more valuable because then I didn't waste my time basically after college going into that. Um, and then because I had the opportunity to be in the Bay Area, I was like, okay, I know this is not what I want to do, but I know there are companies in the city that I want to either intern for the following summer or I want to get a full-time offer from. And so I just started DMing people on Twitter <laughs> Um, and this was when Twitter was still relatively new and it was like, like not, it wasn't like tweeting back and forth. It was more of like, oh, I think you're really cool. Let's grab coffee. I'm an intern. I played the intern card so hard. And yeah. <laughs> summer too. And I was like, you should play the intern card. Like everybody is ready to help you because you have, they have nothing to lose, but so much to gain on their impact on your life by helping you. And so I met up with a bunch of coffee shops and like, I wasn't expecting a job out of any of them. I just wanted to know more about like, what can I put my degree to within this industry without having to be a software engineer? Cause I'm not, and I'm okay with that. And so I think like the moral of the story is like, even if you're put into a situation where you're, you discover you actually don't like something, look at the potential that you have around you, whether it's me and my situation of like, okay, Amazon gave me a car, I can drive to the nearest BART station, BART my way to the city, even though I was in Tracy, California, which is like an hour outside, and see who I can meet up with and network and like meet new friends and hang out there. And then that actually led to me crashing another career fair. There <laughs> you go. It's just a repeating theme. I love it. Repeating, like of me saying, I now know generally what I want to do and the opportunities aren't necessarily there of what my role is on paper and what my major is on paper all because I got a degree in public relations doesn't necessarily mean that I want to go into PR 
Now, did I learn amazing skills such as communication and working with other people? And I like to think I'm a decent writer too, but that is really relevant to even what I do now, but it's not like I'm not a PR manager and I have so much respect for people who did pursue those routes because it's not an easy job. And that's partly why I didn't want to go into it because I wasn't passionate about it the way some of those people are. So I crashed another career fair and ended up working at Accenture um, because I still wasn't 100% sure what I wanted to do. I knew it was in tech and I wanted to be aligned to those different things. And I knew I wanted to be in the Bay Area. So those were my non-negotiables. And I think it's important as you grow your career to know what your non-negotiables are in the team and the role that you want. And those were my two, at least when I was 22. <laughs> yeah. So when you, I, I really like the point that you made about how there are like certain aspects of these internships and roles that you've done that even though you know you're never going to do them again because they're just not the right industry or the right fit for you, there's still skills that sort of like translate into the work that you do today. Can you talk a little bit more about that and like specifically what skills you feel like are applicable to what you're doing in your current job? Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of it is what people consider soft skills because it's really hard to explain to somebody like I think with if you have an engineering degree or if you have like if you're pre-med or something, people know exactly what you're planning to do with that degree. Or even my regular public relations degree, it was like go to an agency, be an account executive, own these different brands, be on call and like make sure the brands have good earned media potential. But now since I don't do that, it's more of like thinking through uh, what it taught me more was how do I work with different types of people? And I, I think part of the reason why consulting made such sense at the time is because I had interned at different PR and communications agencies and I was able to context switch a lot. And I think the ability to context switch a lot within even the product manager role is completely important. You have to know who your audience is, know what value you potentially bring them and how you can collaborate together and make sure you're working well together and work cross working cross-functionally is one of the most important skills and i think public relations did teach me that and having those strong communication skills i don't think you often realize those types of degrees give you that value when you first start off because it's more like how much code am i going to push how many deliver deliverables am i going to give to the client on time? What what are my timelines? How can I help my manager? But as you start to grow into more senior roles, those skills actually are way more valuable. Like I find myself in a lot of meetings with people above my pay grade where I'm so thankful that I have this degree and I have had that consulting background of being able to sit at the table and be okay voicing my opinion. And sometimes it is harder, especially as a woman and as a woman of color too, to think you can have a seat at that table. And I'm very thankful to have had those opportunities where I've at least had a seat. But I think having the skill set and some of the past experience of knowing how to communicate and add value and have that ability to do stakeholder management has been super valuable of using my seat at the table to actually add value. Yeah, 100%. And when you say context switching, that's, and then I think Every role that I've seen in tech almost requires you to be able to context switch um, and maybe not requires, but you can add a lot of value to your role mm -hmm. and your position if you're able to do that. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between multitasking and context switching? Yeah, I do both. <laughs> I definitely yeah. multitask a lot, um, yeah. especially 
I think with the, the work from home environment and since I permanently work from home, I find myself like making lunch while listening to an earnings call. <laughs> like, I'm not going to lie to you. I do that. But I think context switching is less of like how many multiple things can I juggle at a time, but more of like, how can I focus on who I'm talking to right now? Like, for example, we're doing this podcast right now. And then my next meeting is going to be a very different thing. And I have to think through like, okay, I have to be a hundred percent in this meeting and give you my attention and like what you need and add value to the conversation that we're having. But then I have to like turn that off that switch and turn on another switch and go talk about product vulnerabilities and how do we fix that (laughs) in the next call with a very different person with very different priorities that they have to meet, but they have to run through me and because I'm a stakeholder for them. So being able to jump from point A to point B to point C, like constantly throughout the day is something that you have to learn. Um, And I think that is one of the good things about earlier in my career, because I had done those agencies and the consulting firm that context switching just becomes ingrained in you because you're constantly switching with whoever your client is during the day or you're switching projects even every few months or so that you have to basically feel like you're going into a new company but you're technically still in the same company so i view different parts of like the teams i work with are like little mini companies that i i am serving i i love that you mentioned that because i think that before I started working in the industry, I sort of um, used to think that they were synonyms and that multitasking and context switching were basically the same thing. But then once I started working, I was like, wait, I can't multitask. I cannot focus on multiple things at one time. Um, But I can't go from point A to point B and then back to point A very quickly. Um, So yeah, that's definitely something that even if you're not really great at context switching right off the bat when you're learning or when you're in school, um, it's a skill that you will, it sort of like comes with practice as well. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing you mentioned was like you're grateful to have a seat at the table, right? Um, And that's really difficult to get. But then there's also this responsibility to sort of like help other people once you're there. Um, How do you balance having that responsibility, but like, but also not becoming the token person who's constantly basically used to, you know, people instead of focusing on your own career and your own strengths and, you know, future? Yeah. And that's something that like, I've definitely struggled with before. And I'm still processing too, of like, I have this mentality of like, so many help people helped me get to where I am that I want to pay it forward. Like, I have so many amazing engineers that I work with, and I want to elevate them. But I've actually been told by a mentor, like, you have to find the right balance of like, how do I elevate my people and protect them and make them look good? But how do I also make myself look good? Because if I also have a seat at the table, they it's because they want to hear my voice. It's not because they want to hear my voice and these 30 other people that I want to elevate. It's finding the right opportunities of like, when can I have my engineer come give an amazing demo to a customer, but ultimately I have the relationship with that customer. And like, they trust me to think about the long-term strategy, but the engineer is there to help provide that technical support and information that I don't necessarily know within the day to day and have them empathize with the customer. And it benefits all three of us because then the engineer can see, oh, this is why I'm building it because this customer actually has a lot of frustrations. And the reason V prioritized it is because of this. I'm so thankful that I can see that 
but also V, I need to get back to doing what I'm doing. You can't like just drag me into these all the time. And so like, I've struggled with that in the past where I'm like, this is me adding value. And it's like, okay, like I can add value, but there's like a time and a place to bring the person in and elevate them. And there's a time and a place for me to actually lead and be that person that is the social or the subject matter expert. A hundred percent. And I think that a lot of like the women in tech that I have spoken to do struggle with that a lot, or Mm -hmm. it doesn't even have to be women, just anyone who's like a person of color from a minority background, who's in tech, Mm -hmm. where they suddenly get elevated to this space where there's like this unsaid expectation that they have to help elevate everyone around them, everyone who looks like them and acts like them. Um, But at the end of the day, you're like, I love how you phrase that, right? You're there because people want to hear your voice and people care about what you think and the way that you interact with them. And if you start doing what other people expect you to and just like start elevating everyone else and drown yourself out of that equation, um, all of a sudden, like that's not why people, you know, that people don't care as much about everyone else. You're valuable, basically, right? So you're able, you are allowed to prioritize yourself and focus on yourself. Um, you also earlier you mentioned that like crashing events to get those opportunities is like a very common and recurring theme, and I love that because the first time you do it, it's like really difficult, and you're sort of like questioning whether you should, you know, be even be there if you belong there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But once you've done it the first time, it becomes a little bit easier, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's been like a pretty constant theme in yeah. my career so far. Like. I just keep crashing other things and weaseling my way into the, like, that's literally how I ended up in the function that I do now. And I don't think I'm crashing any more events after product management. I think I'm, I'm pretty content with staying in this function for now, um, at least for the foreseeable future. But I, I know in the past too, like after I, I exited consulting, I went into partner marketing and I was like, okay, so now I've entered tech. I'm actually working at a software company. Like, they have all these perks. This is great. I'm traveling a lot and it's cool. But then I was like, you know, like I want to be closer to the product again, not a developer, not full technical, traditional background, but I was like, you know, like I, I know that there are product launches coming up and I know that my partners need to know how, what those new product launches are. So I'm going to raise my hand so that I can be the person that's representing the partner team at those product launch meetings that we have. And I'm gonna say like, this is how I think we should enable it. And these are the messaging that I think we're gonna do. Like I was basically pretending to be a PMM with the partner lens and I crushed those. And then I just became the expert when it comes to partners. But then when I wanted to pivot to product marketing, I was like, I can say, I know the product launch process. I've written messaging and positioning. I've written go-to-market campaigns and sales plays. They might be in a partner lens, but it just means I can context switch over to a specific product and a specific persona and then just slide it on through because I know the general framework. And I think the only reason I was able to get offers for product marketing when I pivoted was because I crashed all those other things without ruining the job that I already had. So one thing to keep in mind too, when you're trying to pivot while you still have the job that you have is think about what can I do to build the skill set for the next job that I want, but how do I not screw over my team and make sure they're actually getting value? So for those types of meetings, I would, I would tell my team, like, I know this is something that we've never had representation for, or it's been really poor representation. I want to raise my hand and just be the owner and drive it and lead it. 
and bring back to you all the information on what are we launching? What is the messaging? How do we fix it? What are the channels that we need to deliver to our partners? And what are the opportunities where we can even pull in some of our bigger cloud partners and create joint messaging and help them co-sell or, or like support us in selling the product together. So that actually still add value to my existing team at the time, but I still could build my skill set for my next thing. And so that's why they were a little bit more supportive when I finally left <laughs> um, and went to a different function in a different company. They were like, you know, like you have the skills. We're lucky to have had you. Good luck on your next adventure. Please come home when you want. <laughs> um, we're happy to have you back. And so not burning those relationships in the process because I think the tech industry might seem really large, but at the end of the day, it is so small and everyone knows everyone. Like I met you through another person that yeah. I otherwise would not have met you if yeah, exactly. him and I did not have a good relationship with each other. Exactly. Yeah. Networks are insanely important. Yeah. Um, I want to touch on that journey that you spoke about with like pivoting, right? Because mm -hmm. it's so easy to look at your life and be like, oh, well, like, yeah, she's gutsy. She went to all these events. She crashed them. She got the opportunity and she succeeded. But I can't imagine that this was like a success after success type of no, it so, like there must have been. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you feel about that? Like, where, where did you struggle? What were the issues that you faced in that process? Yeah, I think at the time, too, I look back on it pretty fondly. But at the time, I was pretty sad because I, I would be interviewing for some of these product marketing roles, even internally, and I would get rejected and I would be like, why am I getting rejected? Like, I have all the things on paper. Like, I'm the perfect candidate. And maybe my ego was too big at, at that age. And that's something that happens, too. Like, I think earlier on in your career, because for high-performing students especially, we get in this, like, mentality of, like, I made good grades. My professors love me. I was president of blah, blah, blah club. And then you get thrown into the real world. And you're like, I'm hot stuff. Like, I can do anything and conquer anything. And then you get humbled really quick um, and you will get rejected. And that is okay. That's part of the journey. Like I got rejected for so many product marketing like roles, or I kept getting reached out for like partner marketing roles, even though I didn't want them. And I was like, if I'm going to keep doing partner marketing, I might as well keep doing it with the team that I trust. And I like, like, why would I leave yeah. for that? And so I, I think one of the most humbling experiences is that rejection, because then you can go to that person, especially if it's internal and say, like, I know I didn't get this role. How do I eventually get there and be OK with the feedback you're given, even if it's not the feedback you want to hear? And that is a continuous theme, even like in my life right now, like because I've pivoted functions, like sometimes I think I'm like crushing it and I'm like the best PM for my team. But then I sit down and I'm like, wow. My team gave me very fair feedback. I need to get my shit together. And they're not doing it like to be mean or anything. It's because they genuinely care enough to give me that feedback. And they know that I will accept it and actually apply it. And I would rather have that level of trust over you're amazing. Keep crushing it. And then I'm like blindly thinking I'm crushing it. And then actually we do really poorly in like everybody's like, she didn't even do her job. Like, I don't want that. And I think I, I learned to be okay with accepting not great feedback because of that period of life where I thought I was hot shit. 
like then people humbled me and gave me tangible feedback and they gave it to me early so that when I did feel like at a point where I checked those boxes and I've grown enough of a skill set to leave, it was for a strong offer and for a higher title than I had initially anticipated that I could get when I was pivoting. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit more about the feedback aspect of it. Cause I feel like there's a lot when you're interviewing for jobs, right? It can be such a fast paced process where you're just like applying to hundreds of jobs. You're getting rejected. You keep applying that you sort of lose track of trying to get that feedback and it can be painful too, right? You can't yeah. keep asking every single rejection why it didn't work out. Yeah. Um, but it is still really important to get that feedback and actually apply it. Like you said, I've, I've seen so many people that, will be like, oh, yeah, I got feedback, but they don't put any time and effort into Mm -hmm. actually improving based off of the feedback that they got. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about how like specific like feedback points that you got and how you went about improving based off of that feedback? Yeah, I think at least for the internal feedback that I received when I was interviewing internally for a role, I knew exactly who those people were. And I was like, I could just send them a slack. And so thankfully, they found time to like actually sit down with me and say like, these are the gaps, but I think you can get there. And then we started to put together a plan of how I can get there for when the next role potentially opens up, or if it's an external role, like I've made my case known that like, this is something I'm interested in. And they pointed out like, okay, so you gave an example like this, but you didn't dig deeper, even though I know you did this project because I literally sat next to you as you did it, but you didn't even mention any of the metrics on how you succeeded. You took a while to actually get to the answer and that's something that I, I also struggle with. And I, I think the concept of being able to craft your story and showcase the value at the beginning and then structure the different metrics and supporting cases under it. I think that's something that like, yes, they teach you in school, especially if you like have a business degree or something. And I feel like some of the business students listening to this, like there's a diagram. Why aren't you just following it when you're in that seat and you're especially if you're interviewing internally and the people know you there's actually slightly more pressure because it's like, oh, they know me. And like, if they reject me, like, is it personal? You know, like you, it's a very different experience on what frameworks you learn about interviewing in school and actually being in the moment, (laughs) Um, especially after a few years of already working uh, and knowing the environment that you're in. On the flip side about feedback too, is I've gotten a lot of feedback within my career and I used to think that I would have to take every single piece of feedback down to the like one-to-one of like, how do I fix this, this, and this that people gave me? Because I wanted to show them I could be better. At the end of the day, there will be some people who give you feedback, especially as a woman and a person of color. Sometimes they will give you feedback that they would never give somebody who was, who didn't look like you necessarily. We always hear the, oh, don't be too aggressive. But if a man was that aggressive and cut you off every five seconds, you would think he was confident. And I know it's an example that everybody uses all the time, but it still happens. Even in 2023, I have experienced that even in this week. (laughs) Like it's super common to be that woman at the table and feel like you have to be not aggressive. But sometimes it is okay if the man sitting next to you tells you you were a little aggressive in your answer because not everybody at the table is going to think that. 
And so that's something that I've learned over time that not every piece of feedback is a piece of feedback you have to apply. And that's where it also varies on like in school, I know if you write a paper and your professor gives you feedback, you take the feedback and you apply it. It's very simple simple in Google Docs, except, except feedback. It's so easy, yeah. but in life, you got to pick and choose and you got to pick and choose which battles you want to fight when somebody gives you feedback too. I I love that you mentioned that example because it's something that I personally really struggle with, right? Like I came into the industry and I'm a very, I used to be a very soft spoken person um, and I would never like interrupt anyone or talk over anyone. And then I found myself in a lot of meetings and like calls where people are talking over each other. And I'm like, there's no way I'm going to have my voice heard unless I am aggressive and unless I like do end up cutting people off and stuff. So yeah, especially if you are someone who, like, you know yourself, right? You know if you're being aggressive or not. Um, so definitely take that type of feedback with a grain of salt. Um, and surround yourself, I guess, with people that really do care about you so that you know who to go to when you need to maybe, like, ask whether certain pieces of feedback are valid and applicable, right, yeah. if you're not able to make that judgment call. Um, I think there's a lot of, like – really amazing lessons over here that we can apply to our own challenges. Um, maybe like in my life, I feel like there's a lot of missed opportunities in the last couple of years, but hopefully also a lot of opportunities lying ahead that I can grab um, based off of your stories and just being inspired by them. Um, I want to continue talking about self-doubt and how we shouldn't let self-doubt cloud our judgment so that we are able to take these opportunities. So next time we're going to dig a little bit deeper into that, why we feel that self-doubt sometimes, why we feel like we don't deserve certain opportunities, um, and why it's important to overcome it so that we can finally like crush self-doubt. Um, and yeah, thank you so much. And we'll see you in the next episode of Developer Diaries. See you then. See ya. Awesome.